This is James Carberry, author of Content-Based Networking, How to Instantly Connect with Anyone You Want to Know. And you are listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, where each week I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book, and which was named by Forbes as one of 11 smart podcasts that will keep you in the know, and named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. My goal for this podcast is to help us both keep up with the latest ideas in the quickly changing fields of modern marketing and sales. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's show notes notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or some other helpful resource that I know of for whatever situation you find yourself in, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to point you in the right direction and save you some time. This show is a labor of love that I do in my spare time. My day job is running a marketing agency where we work with manufacturers and industrial companies to help them grow by helping them earn the attention and trust of their prospective customers. For more, check out our guide to lead generation for manufacturers on our website, salesartillery.com, or Google lead generation for manufacturers, and you'll find the guide atop the organic results. This episode is sponsored by David Merriman Scott's phenomenal New Marketing Mastery course that he developed with Tony Robbins. New Marketing Mastery will teach you step-by-step how to get your marketing in alignment with the way your customers want to buy. David spent three years putting together over 50 videos, dozens of infographics and worksheets, and a 50-page workbook to get your marketing to generate a lot more sales. And even nicer, Marketing Book Podcast listeners will get $500 off by entering promo code marketing book. To sign up, go to newmarketingmastery.com, but make sure to enter promo code marketing book for that $500 off. You can find a short video about the course and a link to it in this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And now, on with the show. Today, we welcome James Carberry to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about his book, Content-Based Networking, How to Instantly Connect with Anyone you want to know, published by Lioncrest. James Carberry is the founder of Sweetfish Media, a podcast agency for B2B brands. He co-hosts the B2B Growth Show, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketers achieve explosive growth. James has interviewed world-class thought leaders like Gary Vaynerchuk and Simon Sinek and Douglas Burdett and has been a contributor for Huffington Post, Entrepreneur and Business Insider. And interesting facts, he loves Cherry Coke Zero, eating Red Vines licorice, and listening to Taylor Swift. James, congratulations on content-based networking, and welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast. Thank you so much, Douglas. I've been looking forward to this for a really long time, so uh, so pr- super surreal to be on this side of the mic with you. You and me both, brother, and... Uh... <laughs> Just so the audience knows, his official bio does mention interviewing Gary Vaynerchuk and Simon Sinek, but not me. And I just (laughs) am doing that to show that, you know, your content doesn't have to be perfect. Occasionally, you produce content with the wrong person. And I think that only happened once, and that was on episode 253 of the B2B Growth Show. Man, I can't believe you, you haven't taken that interview down. That guy, he kept talking about books, and he wouldn't shut up. And normally, your daily episode, actually, you have more than one now, that that episode went on for like a half an hour. So, you know, 
you're a charitable soul. But we're both big fans oh. of uh, T Swizzle. Yes. And uh, I was very excited to see uh, Stu Heineke yes. mentioned in the uh, acknowledgments. And, yep. you know, when you have a book uh, that's about how to instantly connect with anyone you want to know, I mean, you, you really do need to pay homage to Papa Bear, uh, right. Stu Heineck, because his right. two books. How to get a meeting with anyone? Yes. Uh, his books are so, so good. Both of them just absolutely fantastic. Now, I do want to say, James that uh, your book is very unique for a variety of reasons, but in particular because of the respect that you show for your readers. And I, just to mm. demonstrate that, I want to read the entire introduction <laughs> from your book. It says, introduction, secret. I don't read introductions. And I have a hunch a lot of other people don't read them either, so I didn't bother writing one. You can now skip to chapter one. <laughs> yes. I've never seen an introduction like that, but my hat's off to you. And this isn't a long book, but it's really jam-packed with actionable information and a lot of fun, a lot of jokes. So many jokes that I actually started taking pictures of some of the jokes and posting them <laughs> on your, LinkedIn, as I, I often do. LinkedIn post. I loved it. Yes, yes. You talk about Oprah, and I started thinking, wait a minute, I want to be Oprah. Maybe I am Oprah trapped in someone else's body. So at any rate, I, loved it. I should also mention, though, full disclosure, James and I know each other, and uh, he did interview me a while back, and he picked up the pieces of his shattered life after that and moved on. <laughs> And now, once a month, I do a show for the B2B Growth Show. I do an episode for the B2B Growth Show with my good friend James Muir, author of The Perfect Close. And what we do is we recap the most recent books that were on the Marketing Book Podcast. So uh, there's a a lot of uh, content-based networking going on here. Hey, wait a minute. Now I'm on to you, (laughs) Carberry. Dang. So No, your your series has been fantastic, Douglas. I appreciate you and James jumping on. I mean, it's it's probably what been, I don't know, six or eight months since you guys have been doing that, just recapping what you guys are already the 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 work you guys are already doing on this show, uh, and really just, you know, repurposing it in a different a little bit different format for for the folks listening to our show. It's been it's been really cool to to hear your episodes come through and and our audience is is super engaged with it. Well, super. Well, I'm delighted to do it. And James and I have so much fun. It gives us an opportunity to talk once a month. Month. And he is, uh, you know, part of the alpha audience, as as uh, Mark Schaefer would say. He listens to every episode, and you know what? He actually reads every book that's on the Marketing Book Podcast, which I don't wish on anybody, but he wants to do it. <laughs> so I know I know he's going to read your book. Uh, Love. So anyway, James, hello. I'll talk to you at the end of the month. But I want to read one quote from the book, and then start getting into it. So you say, here's what we're going to do in this book. We're going to give you a framework called content-based networking to work backwards from the exact goals you have in mind, from the place you want to end up, the connections that you need, and the relationships that will help you achieve your goals and dreams. And then, moving on, you talk about how content-based networking is using content collaboration to build the exact relationships that can help you achieve your goals and dreams. Content-based networking is figuring out the relationships you need to build to achieve your goals, going directly to those people and creating content with them. So, James Carberry, the audience can't see you, but you know, you're a very good-looking guy. I think a lot of people <laughs> think you're pretty glamorous. 
you know, because of the people that you've interviewed, with one exception. And what I want to do is ask you to talk about a phone call you once got. And the reason I'm mentioning that you're a glamorous person is that you probably get phone calls like this pretty much every day. But I want you to go back in time and tell us about... Uh, when you were at a Mexican restaurant in Dallas, Texas, and your roommate called you, and he asked you the following question. He said, hey, James, do you want to take a private jet to New York City to watch the New York Giants play the Dallas Cowboys? So, James, tell, tell us about that one particular uh, incident. Yeah, so uh, it, that's obviously a phone call that you never expect to get. Uh, I had just, I had actually just gotten back from spending two months in Zambia, in in Africa. It was my first time out of the country, and so to get back and within a few days uh, get a phone call like that to say, "Hey, do you want to take a private jet to New York City?" I was blown away. That came completely out of nowhere. I was like, "How on earth?" You said, is this "Let happening? me check with my people," or well, "I got to check yeah. my calendar." Yeah. Yeah. What weekend is it? <laughs> right. Something like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, it was a sweepstakes that my roommate's brother-in-law had won, and uh, it ended up changing the rest of my life. So Barry Sanders, formerly of the Detroit Lions, now in the Football Hall of yeah. Fame, uh, he met you there. And tell us about that person that you met on that trip and yeah. what happened afterwards. So we we get off the jet in New York City, and Barry Sanders is there to greet us. So, of course, we all freak out that we're getting to meet Barry Sanders, and then we find out he's going to be watching the game with us later that night. And then we get on a private bus to take us around the city. And I noticed that there's this guy on the on the trip that seems to be like, you know, organizing it. I don't know exactly what what he's doing, but he's like telling the bus to pull up and, you know, telling the bus where to stop and, you know, all, all throughout the day. And and so I end up connecting with him. His, his name's Jeff. And as I as we go through the rest of the day, you know, we just end up talking about faith, family, you know, business, life. And come to find out, he actually is the owner of a global logistics company. And so his company works with companies like, you know, Verizon and Sprint and a a bunch of different companies. And they manage logistics at events like this for different sweepstakes and events like the Super Bowl and the Grammys and the Olympics. And and so I'm like, oh, man, Jeff is a really big deal. And uh, he just happened to, you know, really enjoy New York. And so when this trip came up, he was like, oh, I'll, you know, I'll go ahead and be the on-site person for this event. So I ended up meeting the CEO of this global logistics company because, you know, the happenstance and serendipity of winning the sweepstakes. And Jeff and I ended up you know, staying connected, and and ultimately, that's that's really the relationship that that changed the trajectory of of my entire life. Because he then called you up and said, "Hey, can you run one of my businesses in Florida?" Right? Exactly. Yeah. So I was working in an oil and gas company about a year year after that sweepstakes. My phone rings when I'm sitting in my office doing work that I wanted to throw my head through the wall. I think I was doing some sort of accounting work or. It was, you know, it was a very low level job at the oil and gas company where I was working at the time. And, you know, and I was 23 years old, I think at the time. So very early in my career and see Jeff calling me and we had talked a few times before that. So it wasn't completely crazy that he'd be calling me, but I answered the phone and he basically said, Hey, we've got an opening in the helicopter division of our business. Would you want to move to Orlando? I was still in Oklahoma at the time. And he said, would you want to move to Orlando, Florida and help run the helicopter division of the business? And my, again, my jaw hit the floor. But, but I mean, how many calls did you get like that every day anyway, James Carberry? I mean, it was, it was hundreds. Yeah. It was hundreds. Yeah. But this one, you said, okay, I'll bite. Yeah. So, James, let's talk about food. In the book, you say 
Relationships are more than a nice side dish in life. They're the entree, the appetizer, the side dish, and really the whole buffet. So explain what you're talking about there. Yeah, so you know, it's it's crazy to me, Douglas, that so many of us just leave relationships to happenstance, mm-hmm. similar to, you know, the re- the relationship with Jeff, right? Like I I didn't, you know, I didn't try to win a sweepstakes. Um, and I'm not even the one that won it. It was my roommate's brother-in-law. And through the happenstance of that experience, I end up meeting this guy who offers me a job and moves me across the country to a, you know, town where I end up meeting my wife and ultimately, you know, end up starting my own business because of this guy's mentorship over, you know, over the course of, you know, the three years that I worked for his company. And as I think about that, I, I think about the reason that happened was ultimately because of a relationship relationship that I formed with someone by accident. And I think so many people are walking through life hoping that the right relationships fall into their lap. They're hoping that they're able to connect with, you know, somebody that knows the hiring manager at the company they want to work for. They're hoping that they run into, you know, their ideal customer at a conference or an event. Uh, They're hoping that they bump into a referral partner that can, you know, end up helping them grow their business in a very strategic way. And they're, they're depending on hope and serendipity when reality relationships are the whole kit and caboodle. And so, so if you can build a strategy around reverse engineering relationships with the right people, uh, those relationships are ultimately what, what are going to lead you to success in whatever it is you're pursuing, whether it's you know B2B sales and marketing, which is the world that I live in and you, of course, live in, or whether you're you know college graduate that's just out of college and trying to land you know at the company that you really admire or respect, uh, whether you're an entrepreneur like you and I are trying to trying to build your business, whether you're an aspiring politician or like I can't think of a professional environment where having the right relationships don't carry any significance. But I don't hear any I don't hear very many people talking about that. And so that section of the book is talking about how really we undervalue relationships and how critical they are. And we don't think critically about how do we actually create them from scratch instead of just hoping that the right relationships fall into our lap. Like, and, and, and of course they do. I mean, serendipity happens. It happens every day. It happened with Jeff. And, and, uh, and so I'm not saying that serendipity is a bad thing. I'm just saying that we shouldn't only be depending on serendipity to create relationships with people that can change our lives. Absolutely. And the book uh, is very much about making things happen for yourself and revealing that Yes, you can start making things happen for yourself. And it also brought to mind so yeah. many books that have been on uh, the Marketing Book podcast about sales, where it's don't sit around waiting for opportunities to happen. Yeah. Start making them happen. Or, you know, or as uh, Jeb Blunt and Anthony Anarino will say, you know, are you a rainmaker or are you a rain barrel? <laughs> yes. So I want you to tell us another story, another, you know, glamorous James Carberry story uh, about, <laughs> you know, explaining a little bit more about what content based networking is. Uh, you yeah. talk in the book about how you once closed a business deal that often takes months or sometimes years to close, and uh, James Carberry did it in less than a week. 
<laughs> yeah. So, and this woman is still actually a, a friend and that's what I love so much about this strategy is you create friends in the process. So what I saw, you know, kind of coming with, you know, eyes wide open, have, having not been, I'd never started a, a B2B company before. I'd never uh, really had any experience in B2B, uh, in, in sales and marketing and in anything whenever I started Sweetfish. And I came into it thinking, man, I know that I have a very specific buyer in mind. And for us in our business, it's it's a VP of marketing at a B2B technology company, typically a SaaS company that has 50 plus employees. And they might be interested in hiring a company to help them produce a podcast. Yeah. Because B2B tech companies are typically pretty progressive in their marketing, and there's a pretty high likelihood that in this season of time, the, you know, B2B marketers are looking for to add a podcast into their mix. And so knowing that, I know that if I just do the traditional sales thing and I reach out and I try to get them on a call or a, you know, a lot of software companies would be getting them on a demo. In mm -hmm. our case, it's different, obviously being a service, but if, instead of coming out of the gate, thinking that I'm offering them value by telling them that, Hey, I can produce your podcast for you. It's not actually perceived as value. <laughs> right, Whenever right. you're coming out of the gate with an ask, uh, I saw Chris Walker wrote a LinkedIn post about this yesterday. Actually, it's, he calls them fake asks and, uh, or, or fake, fake value. Um, because you think you're adding value, but your product or service is not perceived as valuable on the front end. It's not until they actually, you know, decide to work with you and, and get something from your product or service that it's valuable to them. So, on the front end, I had to figure out how can I lead with value that's completely independent of my product or service. And that's something that I just, I didn't see anybody doing. Everything I saw about, you know, B2B sales advice, you know, it was, it was di basically different ways to bring up your product or service and see if somebody would be interested in it. And I thought, man, I just think there's a better way to do it. There is, and it brings to mind these salespeople that say, hey, uh, can I get on the call with you for 10 to 15 minutes? And basically what yep. they want to do is ask you a bunch of leading questions to try and get at your pain or You're whatever exactly so they right. can talk about themselves. And it, you know, there was one part in your book where you said, which needs to be said, so much of the traditional approach to B2B sales just doesn't work anymore. Yes, Yes. And so going back to the story you were alluding to, Douglas, having this realization that if I, if I can lead with value completely independent of my product or service, there's a good chance this person will actually want to engage with me if what I'm offering them is truly valuable. Mm -hmm. And so that's really, you know, us, we came up with the concept of, okay, well, what if we had some sort of a content platform and we chose podcasting as that platform? And what if we have this podcast and it's focused on talking to B2B marketers, people that are practitioners. Uh, you, you mentioned earlier, you know, we, we've interviewed Gary Vee, we've interviewed Simon Sinek, but the bulk of our interviews are actually with folks like this woman in, in the story that you alluded to. They're, they're VPs of marketing at B2B tech companies that have, you know, more than 50 employees because that's our buyer persona. Mm -hmm. And we talk to them not about our service. It's not a pitch fest talking about, hey, why, why you should do a podcast with us. It's, 
talking about their challenges. It's talking about experiments they've run. It's talking, you know, the, the content of the show has nothing to do with our product or service. It has to do with actually being a valuable resource to other B2B marketers. So when I approached her and said, Hey, do you want to be a guest on B2B growth? That was valuable to her Mm -hmm. because a lot of marketers care about their personal brand. They care about creating content that they can then share on LinkedIn and use to, you know, share their point of view, their perspective, their experience in a very unique way because, you know, everybody's trying to advance their career on top of the fact that they don't know who's listening to this show. And so their next boss could be listening to the show or somebody at a company that they want to work at next could be listening to their show or their boss could end up listening to it and and realizing like, oh, I didn't realize this person was as sharp as they are. I maybe need to think about promoting them or, yeah, like there's all, there's, there's a wide variety of reasons why B2B marketers would want to be featured as a guest on our show. But the reality is that value is completely independent of the thing that we sell them. And that's the magic of this strategy, Douglas, because when you lead with something independent of your product or service, it allows you to have a conversation with someone that's not contingent on them saying, yes, we want to buy or no, we don't. The uniqueness of this story is that most people that we interview on the show are not ready to buy our service within six days. Now she happened to be, they had just been talking about how they were going to do, you know, they were going to be focused on thought leadership for their CEO and they were looking at a podcast to possibly do that. And so naturally at the end of our podcast interview, it came up that, you know, Hey, that's actually what we do. And so the expedited, you know, deal happened in six days because there happened to be a need for our service. And because we reached out to her very specifically knowing, Hey, there's a chance that she could actually be a fit to work with us. We're going to create some content with her. And then on the back end, you know, we'll, we'll see if there's an opportunity to work together. It's, it's nothing pushy. It's nothing, you know, nothing. You weren't trying to sell. You were trying to create good content for your audience. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And, and I think, I think doing that is, is for me, you know, at first I thought, well, maybe it's just for my personality, you know, because I I don't want to be, you know, pushy. And then I just realized, man, no, people don't want to be sold to. No, absolutely. (laughs) If there's only one thing from this interview, listener, I'm talking to you. (laughs) People don't want to be sold to, they don't want to be marketed to. Uh, Yeah, it's, uh, it's terrific. And it brings to mind just a couple of weeks ago, I was giving a talk to a local uh, Public Relations Society of America group, and it was about podcasting. And afterwards, I was chatting with one of the people from an economic development organization in our region. And she was saying, yeah, we're, we came to this because we were thinking about starting a podcast. And I said, okay. you know." So I started asking her some questions, and she said, uh, well, we want, one of the people we want to reach is site selectors, and we want to tell them about how great this area is you know, yawn, <laughs> every right. economic development yep. organization. I said, gosh, you know, I haven't heard a whole lot about what you're trying to do here, but it seems like it would be a lot more interesting to do a podcast where you interview site selectors. Yes. <laughs> and so, you know, yes. subtle difference. And I, I think she understood that, but I think she was being told by all the experts on, you know, her board of directors as to what they want, because they think that you can still shout at people and they still have a, yep. a captive audience. Um, just doesn't work. Audience. Yeah. Yeah. So just doesn't work. We're going to take a break here so I can tell you more about David Meerman Scott's new marketing mastery course and a very generous discount he's offering to Marketing Book Podcast listeners. 
Two books have had the biggest impact on my marketing career, and one of them is David Merriman Scott's The New Rules of Marketing in PR. Naturally, I'm a big fan of David Merriman Scott, which is why he was the very first guest on the Marketing Book Podcast and why he's returned several times. His new marketing mastery course, Three Years in the Making, in collaboration with Tony Robbins, teaches you step-by-step the most important aspects of modern marketing so that your marketing can drive dramatically better sales results. Many of the mistakes I see companies make in their marketing can be avoided by following what's recommended in this comprehensive course. The new Marketing Mastery course has over 50 videos, over 25 infographics and worksheets, and a 50-page workbook that gives you step-by-step instructions on topics like buyer personas, content, social media, and building a business growth plan. Now, you can continue spending money having a good time going to marketing conferences or hiring consultants, but for a lot less, you can get this course, implement what he teaches, and start seeing measurable results. And your whole team can use it, which is why it's a great way to train your marketing team, particularly new hires. The knowledge you can get from the latest edition of the New Rules of Marketing and PR is why I continue to recommend it as the one book to help people get a better handle on what they need to understand about modern marketing and the modern buyer. Now, with this course, you can learn how to turn that knowledge into action. The secret to getting ahead is getting started. For you to get started, go to newmarketingmastery.com and enter the promo code MARKETINGBOOK to get $500 off the price. Go to newmarketingmastery.com and make sure to enter promo code MARKETINGBOOK to get $500 off. I also have a video about the course and a link to it in this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And now back to the show. But let me ask you something. Now, in in your book, you're not saying go do a podcast. There, talk about some of the other things that yeah. companies could be doing. Just because that's what you do, that's one yeah. example. But what are some of the other types of content that are featured in the book where people created content with the people that they wanted to reach out to? Yeah, so I, I love that you asked that, uh, Douglas. So many people think that because of what we do, the only thing we're advocating for is people doing podcasts, and that's not at all the case. I mean, you, I've seen companies do this with full-length like documentaries where they end up collaborating with a bunch of different people that they could potentially do business with and featuring them in this really well-produced documentary. You could go that direction, mm-hmm. or you could go much more simple and just do uh, little short micro one minute videos like what Alan Gannett does on LinkedIn, yes. uh, where he interviews people via video for one to two minutes and posts those videos on LinkedIn. Yeah. He asks uh, like one question, one question. It's super simple. And now he's got like, I don't know, 65 or 70,000 followers on LinkedIn. When he started doing it, he had, I don't know, two or 3000. I mean, mm-hmm. it was, it's crazy like to see how, how much he's grown just doing that simple thing. Now, I don't know that you know, Alan is doing that specifically, you know, you know, I don't know what the back end strategy is of that, of like how he's selecting the people that he's talking to. I know he's like, he's talked to some really powerful folks. And when I saw him at content marketing world, he didn't ask me a question. So I just want to let you know, that's where I stand with, (laughs) with my friend Alan Gannett. But, um, you know, the other reason he's doing it, he just loves doing it. It's so much fun. Yep. Yep. 
Exactly. And so that that's the other upside to it. But I think you can add a level of strategy to, you know, regardless whether it's a podcast, whether it's a video series, you know, in the story of the book, we share, you know, somebody that, you know, if you're an aspiring chef and you want to get in and build relationships with uh, existing chefs in your area, you know, what if you did an, a series on Instagram where you went into their kitchen and you took pictures, you know, behind the scenes of the different dishes that they're creating and you ended up going live with a series of photos over the following week where you tag that head chef, you're speaking highly of the restaurant and your entire Instagram channel could be focused on, you know, featuring local restaurants. Well, if you feature enough local restaurants and you're working with, you know, the head chef at each of those restaurants to create that content and get the insights from them about what went into making the dish. And so when, when you do that, through the process of that content collaboration, you're building a legitimate friendship and relationship with these head chefs. First and foremost, so, yes. Exactly. And mm-hmm. and you've got to think that by the end of doing two or three different features in different restaurants, there's a good chance that you know, you, you circle back, you go to lunch with one of those head chefs. Hey, wanted to, you know, wanted to tell you about how the series is going and and how people are responding to, you know, the content we created with you. Mm -hmm. And because they think so fondly of you, because you didn't ask them for anything, you just wanted to feature them and highlight them and make them look awesome. So of course they want to talk to you again. And when you talk to them again, you let them know like, Hey, I just got out of you know, cooking school and I'm, you know, really excited to kind of get a, get a shot at working at a restaurant. Well, one of those people that you built a relationship is likely going to either connect you to someone that can help, or they're going to say, Hey, we just had somebody, you know, quit last night. What would you think about, you know, coming on board with us? Mm -hmm. And so you can see just the connection between genuine relationships and actually creating opportunities for yourself that wouldn't have otherwise happened. And it happened on purpose. It didn't happen by accident. It was because you purposely set out to do content collaborations with people that could potentially help you. What I'm fearful of people hearing this and going, you know, okay, now I'm just going to manipulate people <laughs> and I've, yes. I've got this agenda and I'm going to talk to, you know, talk to all these people. And if they don't want what I have to sell them, then, you know, I, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get pissed and, and be upset. And I, I've seen some, some people that hear me talk about it. That's kind of where they go. It's like, Oh yeah, this is like another hack to try to like sell my stuff. Yeah. But when you're interviewing people, you're not saying, did I mention that I run a B2B uh, podcast agency? Um, it's not about you. And, and actually that leads to another point from the book that I want to ask you about. Actually, I may just, (laughs) I may ask it and answer it. You talk about how Folks, this is not some silver bullet. This is not some, you know, yes. magic easy button. You know, you just set it up and you're good to go, right? Which I think is the yep. yearning of a lot of business people, like the ones who say, uh, I love advertising. I write a check and yep. something happens. Not here. <laughs> and that's where you, yep. you explain, you know, this does actually take work. It's, it's, a, it's yep. a marathon you're starting on. And very importantly, you say, I believe relationships are about far more than just monetary or career results. So if you're simply trying to hack your way into someone's office or burst into someone's pocketbook without really caring about them, then this book isn't for you. And that's so true. Let's move on and talk about the framework for this content-based networking. Although this is a short book, it's 79 steps, 79 easy (laughs) steps, I'm kidding. I'm a kidder. No, no, no. There's no, only no, no. there's only three steps. So 
let's let's touch on those briefly here. Yeah. And let's start with goals, which I think is yep. the one thing that so many businesses skip over because they think it's yep. so obvious. Yep. Explain what you mean when you say that people confuse goals with dreams. When you think about goals, it's really easy to think of like, oh, I want to be featured on Inc.'s fastest growing, you know, the fat, the, the fastest growing you know, companies in America. That's my goal. But what we say in the book is that's a dream. That's an incredible dream mm-hmm. to be. And, and, and quite frankly, that was my dream. When I started the business, I'm, I'm looking for guests for B2B growth off of, you know, all of these fastest growing company lists. And it was a dream for me to like, oh man, how cool would it be if one day I can be on that list of fastest growing companies. And so I'm talking to all these people that have done it. it. You know, it's super inspirational, but that wasn't my goal. My goal was actually to connect with B2B marketing leaders at companies that I knew, you know, were big enough to be able to have the budget and the, and, and the ability to pull off what we were trying to pull off for them and, and work with us. So, so the difference between dreams and, and goals is that goals are much more centric around the actual person that you need to connect with that can make a decision about your product or service. And so it's thinking strategically about that. So going back to the chef story, that aspiring chef that just finished cooking school, he had to be very strategic about what his goal was. His, his dream was to, you know, be maybe a, a three-star Michelin chef, but his goal was to connect with local head chefs in his area. And so getting clarity around the goal being the people that you need to connect with is really the big takeaway from from that section of the book. Mm-hmm. And in reading the book, I realized that I've made a colossal mistake over the last five years because I don't sell to authors. Um, <laughs> I have no... <laughs> no, I, I tar- started this because I, I wanted to, and I really love doing it. But yes. if I did it right, I would be reaching out more to the folks that are uh, our prospective customers. And I've actually thought about doing that, but we can talk, <laughs> we can talk about that later. <laughs> But I want to read from one section that just uh, filled me with all kinds of hope. And it was uh, where you say, every person alive wants to be on Oprah's show. Why? Because she's inspirational. She's fun. She's energetic. And she always shines the spotlight on the other person. Oprah doesn't soak up credit. She isn't in this for her, and she never has a self-centered attitude. Oprah has one drive, give back to others. She does this by inviting people on her show, making them look smart and funny, and giving them a chance to share their story. Then she takes that story and shares it with the world for others to see and be inspired. I took a picture of that, and I wrote, I want to be (laughs) Oprah. I don't necessarily want to be on her show. You are Oprah. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate Oprah of, that. O- Oprah of the B2B sales and marketing space. Yeah, but that's great. And you I talked about it beyond that. And normally, you know, uh, somebody may be joking around, but it couldn't be more true. And I think one of the other larger points is look what it has done for her. Yeah. And so when you associate yourself with the type of people that Oprah has featured on her show, uh, she's now become probably way more famous than a lot of the people that she's, you know, interviewed over the years because she's associated herself with those people, has created content with those people, and has done a phenomenal job of shining the spotlight on the other person. Mm -hmm. And so this approach of really being a journalist 
in the space or the industry that you're in and almost like investigative reporting, like you're talking to people on the street. Yeah, they can, they can buy your product or service, but they also have a tremendous amount of value to offer other people in the space. Mm -hmm. And so I, I see so many times where, I don't know, Douglas, I see a lot of people that want to get into podcasting and all they want to do is interview Gary V. And I'm just like, ah, like, like I've interviewed Gary V. It was fun. It was awesome. That was about it. Like, it was like 16 it, minutes, wasn't it? Yeah, it was it was 16 minutes and but let's be honest, James Carberry, let's be honest here. You were as excited as a 13-year-old girl at a Justin Bieber concert. <laughs> I was. And when I met Gary V, I was the same way. And I and I said it. I admit it. And I don't think there's anything wrong with having aspirations of interviewing, you know, celebrities and and influencers. Uh, I mean, Gary, I've Gary V's played a massive part in my entrepreneurial journey just from consuming his content from yeah. afar. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, getting to meet him, getting to do an interview with him, that was you know dream come true for me. But the reality is. I get way more value from interviewing a VP of marketing at a B2B SaaS company that just raised their Series E because, one, they have way more tangible value to offer our audience because they're in the trenches. They're doing it. They're building campaigns and they're thinking creatively about how they're bringing the product to market. And so the content I can create with them where Gary's content is obviously great. There's a reason why millions of people follow him, Yeah, but don't sleep on the practitioners in your space that are in the trenches doing this day after day after day who are not being asked 27 million times a day like Gary Vee is to be featured on, you know, to be featured on blogs or video series or podcasts. Mm -hmm. And so by reaching out to those people, what you'll find is those can actually be very strategic relationships for you. So not to completely disregard what we said earlier about that, how that, that can't, you, you, this is not a manipulation game. This is not something where you're baiting and switching. No, you are really trying to collaborate with these folks and create incredible content with them. But you're also intentionally creating relationships that can ap- actually map to business results. And that's what I think is so powerful about this whole thing. Yes. And you talk in the book about how going after these big influencers actually can be counterproductive, yeah. um, which, of course, <clears throat> that's why you interviewed me. <laughs> but I want to talk a little bit about the second one, which is the people. And for instance, you talk about how you don't just believe in social media stalking. You really believe in social media <laughs> stalking. And I felt better about that. But what are some of the do's and don'ts of, of good outreach for, for yeah, getting so, the people? Man, there's, there's, there's a lot here. So one, I mean, reaching out to someone, asking to feature them is, is opposed to reaching out to someone asking, you know, if you can sell them something. And that's the spotlight effect, right? Yeah, that's the spotlight effect. And that's the biggest unlock here. If, I mean, re- like it's huge whenever it, it changes the, the, the foundation of your entire ask is going to them and saying, Hey, I am doing this, you know, content series. I would love to feature you in it. That alone puts you so much further ahead of the pack than all the other people that are in those folks's inboxes. But some other things that that you can be really mindful of, one thing that I'm really passionate about is short messaging and getting to a very clear and direct 
call to action. So whenever I'm reaching out to someone to ask them to be on B2B growth, I'm not sending them a 17 paragraph email that says that we've interviewed Gary Vee and Simon Sinek and that we get 100,000 downloads a month. Those are all helpful things that could potentially get somebody to want to be on our show. But it's not what I lead with because I know people's attention, like they see a big long email, they associate it with it being some spammy sales request like I do, and they just delete the email before they read any of it. Right, and you keep yours to four sentences or less. Yeah, and sometimes less. I mean, two to, two to four sentences is really the sweet spot. It's, hey, Sally, I saw that you were featured in Forbes last month, would love to feature you on B2B Growth, up for it, question mark. And so because the message is so short uh, and it piques their curiosity, the goal here, and I've heard, you know, there are other folks that, you know, espouse this message as well. So it's by no means unique, but the goal of the outreach is not to get them to commit to doing an interview with you. It's to get them to respond. Right. And so, so if you can get them to respond in any way, shape or form by saying something like up for it or any interest, uh, something that's, it's an easy question to answer. They're likely going to respond with, Oh, I might be interested. You know, tell me tell more me about more. it. more, yeah. Well, now they've replied. So now, like, now the likelihood of them replying again to your future messages is much higher. So uh, so that's really the biggest one I, I would take away from, from that particular section is being mindful of how you reach out to the people that you identify are, you know, the most strategic folks for you to be connecting with and just be conscious of how they're feeling on the, like, be empathetic about the barrage of emails that they're probably getting and thoughtfully think through what can I do to actually make them want to engage with me and, and short messaging and offering value upfront that's completely independent of your product or service are the two biggest things that we've seen the most win, most amount of wins from. Yeah, here's two other examples from the book. Hey, Paul, we're doing a series of videos about your industry and we'd love to feature you. Any interest? And here's another one. Hi, Kim, we're working on an industry blog series and we'd love to feature you in it. Up for it? And notice, both of those were personalized. Yep. <laughs> this is yep. basic email marketing, but this is yep. what has worked for you for so uh, over a thousand interviews. Write like you talk. And then one of them, that's, and you say take a multi-channel approach. Don't rely just on email. Um, but yep. also uh, prove you're not a scam, which was you know really resonated with me. How do you prove you're not a scam? Yeah, and and people, I, I think when I when I talk about this, this was originally higher up the list in the book, and we ended up putting it putting it further down because I think if you overemphasize trying to prove that you're not a scam, you end up doing things that actually make you look like a scam. Uh -huh. You end up writing those seventeen paragraph emails that are trying to establish your credibility, and really proving you're not a scam is as simple as dropping your LinkedIn profile, your signature, or you know doing something where folks can see that you're a real human. So putting maybe putting your Instagram account in the email signature right. of what you're sending, so people can click through and see, oh, this is a, a real guy. He's you know married, has three kids. You know mm -hmm. he he's he's like me. It humanizes you, but don't overthink it. Don't think that you need to send. 17 paragraphs explaining your credentials. <laughs> right. um, that's that's not what I'm saying here. Yes. Uh, but there are subtle things you can do to, to prove you're not a scam. Yeah. One other thing I want to ask you about is to talk about the discovery you had on your own show where you realized you weren't actually reaching out to the right people, yep. uh, but then you, you still, you, so you pivoted, 
but there were still benefits. Talk a bit about that. Yep. And, and the reason I want you to talk about that is because people might think, oh, we might, make, we might be making a mistake. That's fine. Yep, it is. And, and I'm glad you brought that up, Douglas. So we, with the first 150 episodes that we did for B2B growth, I was convinced, you know, and, and going back to what I said earlier, I had no experience in B2B sales and marketing. I didn't know what I was doing when I, when I first started this business. And so I was convinced like, oh, this podcasting thing, it's, you know, we didn't have, a, we didn't know, we hadn't named anything content-based networking at that point. We we're just like, man, what people can do with a podcast is really powerful in terms of relationships, what better team would, you know, benefit from this in an organization than their sales team? Like, I, I just thought, well, this is how we're, you know, going to market and selling our product or services, creating all these relationships. Surely other sales teams would want to do the same. So for the first 150 episodes of B2B growth, we were talking to VPs of sales. And then it was, it was, uh, again, over a hundred episodes before I was like, wait a minute, all these VPs of sales that I'm talking to, they, you know, any, anytime, you know, it, when it, when it comes up what we do and how we do it, they're always pointing me to their VP of marketing. They're always pointing me over to the marketing side of the house. And I'm like, man, but this is really so much more beneficial for sales. Why are they doing that? And of course I'm hard headed. So, you know, I kept going, kept trying to interview, you know, sales leaders and finally just realized, well, James, cause they don't have budget for this kind of thing. Like right. most people look at podcasting and they see that as a marketing activity. They don't see it as a sales activity. So quit trying to shove a round peg into a square hole mm -hmm. and just go talk to the people that actually carry budget for what you do. So but we were fortunate in the sense that the name, we didn't have to change the name of the show. The, the name, you know, B2B growth translates to whether it's sales or marketing. But we did have a significant shift and pivot in who we started featuring as guests on the show. We stopped reaching out to VPs of sales. We started reaching out to CMOs and VPs of marketing. We eventually realized through a collaborative content series I did on Huffington Post a while back that CMOs actually were not the kind of people we needed to be talking to either. We needed to go one level lower and actually talk to the VP of marketing because they're in charge of executing at more at a, at a ground level, the strategy that, uh, that they're, you know, going to market with. And so there's a, a couple different epiphanies. The, the big one was realizing sales didn't have budget for it. And so shifting the guest persona over into marketing, uh, and then thinking CMOs possibly could, you know, could, should be the people we're talking to. That one didn't take us as long to figure out like, no, it's actually not the CMO. It's the VP of marketing. But even if we did have the have to change the name of the show, I I would have I would have gladly done it because it meant actually creating relationships. Now we've got over you know thirteen hundred episodes, so thirteen hundred minus one hundred and fifty. You you look at it over the over the course of time. I would much rather have had to change the name of the show, rebrand a little bit to actually build relationships with the people that can really help us move the business forward, which is what happened. So the lesson there was don't be afraid to get started. You, If you make a mistake, it's still going to work out. You're going to exactly. listen to your audience and you're going to start to get closer. But the secret of getting ahead is getting started. I want to ask you about the importance of creating action-oriented content. And <laughs> The reason this particularly resonated with me is because I guess I'm more interested in that, and that might explain why there are certain types of books I pass on, and <clears throat> yes, I'm talking about books on branding and branding yes. theory. <laughs> Nothing. Yes. The smart people write them, but it's just not something that I think the listener can go do or, or start to think about putting yeah. in action when they get to work. 
Yeah. And so when you think about, you know, in, in our context with podcasting and really you know, with a lot of content mediums, maybe, maybe not blogging as much, but in a setting where, you know, you're doing these 15 minute interviews, 20 minute interviews, maybe a little bit longer, you, you really want the, the consumer of that content to be able to walk away and actually do something with what they just heard. And your example of branding is so spot on, not that branding is not important. We all need that advice. But um, if you're going to be having a lot of these conversations, keeping them centric around, you know, w- what a tangible piece of advice that the, that the guest can give that can help move the, the listener forward, that's going to be what really keeps a listener coming back because you're making a tangible impact in their life and their business and, you know, what their industry, whatever the focus of your, of your content is, if they're starting to see wins because they're listening to what your content is saying or they're reading what your content is, is espousing and they're actually able to implement and make it like move the needle. That's what gets them coming back, which is ultimately what you want as a, as a content creator. So, uh, so that's, that's why it's so powerful. And, and like you, Douglas, I, I I think I put that in there because that's me as well. I, I, I love actionable (laughs) takeaways. Like that's my preference. And I I have a feeling there's that we're not the only ones out there. Yeah. So Let's go back to the thing. One thing I did mention before we wrap up here, and <clears throat> that's where this uh, the big name influencers, like like you talk about, like the Gary Vaynerchuk's of the world for the marketing world. Why is that sort of like the dog chasing the car uh, and then and then catching it? What? Why is that actually uh, not that good an idea? Yeah, it's not that good of an idea because. The reality is these influencers that you're chasing, I I get the thinking behind why you want to chase them. Sure. Because you think that they're going to, you know, that Gary Vee is going to post your interview on Twitter and it's going to blow up and go viral and you're going to get thousands of people consuming your content because Gary Vee retweeted you. And the reality is that just doesn't happen. I mean, the, the people that have a lot of fame around their thoughts and ideas are because they themselves are putting out an enormous amount of content and they don't have the time or really they, it's, it's not super strategic for them to share other people's content. They're sharing their own content. And so you might get a retweet here or there, but the likelihood of them emailing their list about you, the likelihood of them doing the things that you think they're going to do is just very, very low. And so when I look at some of the most quote unquote popular people that we've ever had, and I look back at our Libsyn statistics to see how many downloads those episodes are, I mean, Douglas, your, your episode being very, you know, very niche in, in, B, in B2B marketing, I, I think you would you would agree that like you do not have quite the fame that a Gary that a Gary V or a Simon Sinek has, but your episode performed just as well as those did. Yeah, take that, Gary. <laughs> when I look at that and I go, it doesn't it does you, you interviewing Gary V and you interviewing a practitioner who's can actually you know is a decision maker for your product or service and has tangible wisdom for other people that are also decision makers that you want listening to your content, I would challenge you to think, to look at them side by side and go, Oh, it actually doesn't really move the needle that much (laughs) for me to go talk to these influencers. It's Uh, so true. And, uh, and I've seen that too, when I've had some big deals on the show and, and, and they really don't share your interview that much. And that's why, 
James Carberry, I have no expectations that you'll share this, uh, and that's fine. You know, I'm 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 good with that. I just want to be able Gary to D. say Stannis. I will definitely be sharing. This I want to be able to say that I interviewed uh, James Carberry. So you know, <laughs> there you go. So, but again, you talk about some of the pitfalls is producing pie in the sky stuff that's not practical. Here's another one. Making it all about you. I, you can tell that pretty quickly in an interview, and you're just like, yeah, yeah great, thanks. <laughs> Good luck with yep. your podcasting career, because it's, yep. it's just not helpful, it's not interesting. And the other one that was very interesting, again, this is for those of you that don't think you should go start some content, but start creating content, is thinking that you need an audience beforehand to start. Well, let's build an audience yep. first before we start doing that. No, 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 just yep. get started. And you know, I'll, I'm not saying all your dreams will come true because you're very clear that that doesn't happen. But this again, the secret of getting ahead is just getting started. started. You're yeah. exactly right. I, I, I mean, I, I just pound that point home over and over and over again because as I've talked to people about this over the last four years, it's uh, that that seems to be the the sticking point, and it's. The people that actually just dive in and they're willing to iterate and change if they need to, the results that they see are so much quicker than the folks that hem haw around and overanalyze and think that, oh, you know, it's got to be perfect for us to, to get started and to get going. It's just not true. Like, reach out to someone today. Like, we, regardless of whether you have a website up, like, you don't have to have any of that. Just reach out to somebody and send them that three sentence, two, three sentence email and say, hey, I'm, I'm starting to work on a blog series that I think you would be fantastic on. I saw the article you wrote on LinkedIn last week. Would you be up for? you know, doing a 15 minute interview with me. It's that simple. And we, we talked about personalization before, but beyond just using, you know, personalization for their name, find lists that they've been featured in, find content they've written in the past. Mm -hmm. And if this is somebody that you really want to know and that, that can be a strategic relationship for you, there's, you know, you, you'd mentioned earlier, social media stalking, they've probably written something or created something, or they spoke at a conference or they've done something, go and find that with the magic power of Google. Yes. And reference that whenever you reach out to them. We found that that is a huge indicator that someone will actually want to engage with you because it's like, oh, yeah, I did speak at that conference six months ago and I did already prep a talk. Sure, I'd love to I'd love to <laughs> repurpose the work I already spent, you know, weeks and weeks prepping for to also talk to you. So it's just we've seen it proven out so many times that this works. Just get started. Yes. Don't, don't get in your head. And to the listener, I'd like to say be honest, you already know how to social media stalk people anyway, so <laughs> stop acting like you, you don't know how to do that. So James, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? It's going to sound like you know I'm beating a dead horse. Repetition here, is a good thing, James. The one thing I would want somebody to walk away with is legitimately to think about a single person. Like, I've always wanted to know this person because uh, they could move the needle for me in, so, in some way, or I just want to learn from them or, you know, s something. Think of one person and reach out to them today. So that's the, I, I think the one thing that you can do, uh, and collaborate with them on some piece of content. It could be a LinkedIn video. It doesn't have to, you're, you don't even have to commit to an ongoing series of content, but figure out a way to create a piece of content with a person that you actually want to know and then go do it. And when you see how like how well it works, you're going to want to keep doing it over and over again. Yes. Great advice. What books have inspired your working career, James? 
Yeah. So the biggest one is, uh, I'll, I'll say two here. Love Does by Bob Goff, which is not actually a business book at all. It's a, really a collection of stories how that display this reality that love is an action. Love is not just something we do passively. Love is something we actively do. And so just these really beautiful stories of how uh, different people have have shown love to the people around them. It's made a huge impact on how we built our culture here at Sweetfish, um, how I try to interact with our customers, with our partners. And so Love Does, far and away, the most influential book uh, in my career. But the second one is a book called um, The Advantage by Patrick Lencioni. It talks about organizational health and uh, really gave us a framework for how to set our company values, how to think through kind of mission, vision stuff, how to create a, a healthy organization. So The Advantage by Patrick Lencioni and Love Does by Bob Goff. Wow, I did not know either one. Love Does, Discovery, Secretly Incredible Life in an Ordinary World. Wow, very interesting. Thanks for mentioning those. Are there any recent or upcoming books that you uh, recommend or are looking forward to uh, reading or seeing come out? I, I actually just read a new book by Disney CEO Bob Iger, and it's called The Ride of a Lifetime. Mm. I think. Yeah, I've heard about that. Yeah, it's, I think it's Robert Iger is what it's listed at on Audible. I, I listen to all my books. And so just searching Ride of a Lifetime or Robert Iger, it's just a fascinating story of what's gone on at Disney, kind of behind the scenes of what it, what it took for someone to become the CEO of you know a company as big as Disney and the different moves that had to be made to get to that point, and then how he's navigated his tenure as CEO. I think he's coming up on, you know, I don't know if he was retiring or the end of his contract as CEO is coming up in, in the next year. And so uh, whether he actually leaves or not, I have no clue. But the the book was just fascinating to me. It's a little bit different read. It's not as uh, it, it's not necessarily as actionable or there's not, you know, it's not necessarily like a playbook, so to speak. Um, well, but, a good book's a good book. Yeah, a good book is a good book. And so it, it broke the mold a little bit of of what I tend to like. But, uh, you know, with me, you know, building a with our team, building a, a media company, um, mm-hmm. seeing how Disney <laughs> builds their media empire. Uh, so I, I had some kind of some actionable takeaways in terms of just seeing strategy they deployed and thinking how that could apply to us. But but man, just if you want to be fascinated by a story, uh, I would say Ride of a Lifetime by by Robert Iger. Well, and James, let's not overlook the fact that one day Sweetfish Media will acquire Disney. So. <laughs> yes. Just giving you a little goal motivation there. Very much. It's called Very The Ride of a Lifetime Lessons Learned from 15 Years as CEO of the Walt Disney Company. Well, terrific. So at marketingbookpodcast.com, we're going to include links to your sites and your social media, including your LinkedIn profile. And I hope listeners will connect with you and thank you for joining us on the show and uh, that they'll uh, check out the B2B Growth Show and uh, maybe even check out the monthly episode that James Muir and I do. And for you, dear listener, if you're listening on your smartphone, you subscribe to the Marketing Book Podcast on your favorite podcast app. All these links can be found right now by going to this episode and clicking on the show notes link. The name of the book is Content-Based Networking, How to Instantly Connect with Anyone You Want to Know. The author is James Carberry. James, thank you very much for joining us on the Marketing Book Podcast. Thank you so much, Douglas. This has been a blast. 
And that closes the book on episode 268 of the Marketing Book Podcast. For more, check out this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or other helpful resource for whatever situation you find yourself in, please feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to point you in the right direction. My name again is Douglas Burdett. Special thanks to our sponsor, David Merriman Scott's new marketing mastery course. Get $500 off with promo code MARKETINGBOOK when you check out at newmarketingmastery.com. And please join us next time as we welcome Jonah Berger back to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about his book, The Catalyst, How to Change Anyone's Mind. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. This episode was produced by Jessica Ambrose. James, I know this is the first podcast interview you've ever done, so I don't want you to be nervous, okay? (laughs)